Welcome to the Enlightening Motherhood Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Hamblin. And I'm your co-host, Ashley Schultz. As moms who are currently in the thick of raising kids with big emotions, we know firsthand how challenging their intense behaviors can be. And that a little support can go a long way. This is a non-judgmental community that was created for you or any mom who's feeling overwhelmed, frustrated, or stressed. Each week, either Emily or I will share our experiences, offer practical tips, and interview experts in the field so you can be empowered to help your children with their challenges. Join us as we help you enlighten motherhood. Hello, everyone. This is Emily. I hope that you're having a beautiful week wherever you are. And if you're not having a beautiful week, I hope you're able to find beautiful moments within your week that you can hold on to to get you through the hard times. So wherever you are, beautiful week, horrible week, whatever is going on for you, you are so welcome here. And I'm glad you're joining me today. So I wanted to talk with you a little bit more about school. Now, a few episodes ago on, on episode number 77, I'll put the link in the show notes. I gave you 10 tips to help your child prepare for the school year that have nothing to do with academics. And if you haven't listened to that, you're welcome to go back and listen to it. I hope that you find it helpful, but I wanted to add to it because there's even more that's been brought up um, in my Confidently Momming membership in our last group coaching call. A lot of moms were just coming with even greater needs that their children, especially as emotionally intense children, right? That their kids are having all sorts of big feelings about school, a lot of anxiety, a lot of anticipation, a lot of just difficulty surrounding going back to school. And so I wanted to talk to you today to give you some tips and some support in case your child is in this situation or in case they are going to be there in the future. So One thing that I do want to say, um, I've seen a lot on children that complain of like a stomachache. I can't go to school. My belly hurts. Oh, I can't go to school. My head hurts. And I know, like, I'm going to be totally honest here. Um, Growing up, sometimes I made some of those up for sure. And we probably all have times where we made up physical illnesses to get out of like a homework assignment or whatever at school. But I also want to tell you of a time this is a really tender moment for me and I don't even know that many people that know me personally know this but I remember I'm pretty sure this was the night before my first day of second grade and I was laying in bed Um, my mind just would not let go of the fact that there was a girl that was in my class that was very mean to me in first grade very very mean to me and that she would be in my second grade class. And I was playing over and over in my mind, the different scenarios of how maybe I could stand up to her or I could handle her being mean, or I could just navigate that really, really difficult moment for me at that young age. And I remember going out, leaving my room, it was late. Like I had just been in bed crying. And I went out to my parents, they were sitting on the couch watching TV, eating ice cream. And I just came out with tears streaming down my face. And they looked at me and they said, Emily, what's wrong? And I said, my belly hurts. Now, maybe my belly really did hurt because, you know, when we get stressed or when we get anxious, we, we hold emotions in our body often somewhere. So it very well could be that my belly was hurting. But I honestly do not remember any belly ache 
I didn't know how to tell my parents what was going on. I didn't know how to get all of those concerns from my heart through my mouth and communicate it to them. And so I just told them one thing that kind of popped out of my mouth, which was my belly hurts. And I don't remember how they handled it. I think my dad offered me some ice cream and I turned him down and I cried and stuck out my lip. And I think my mom hugged me and I just got some connection and some comfort from them. And I was able to go to bed and um, go to sleep. So I don't know. Um, Like, I'm not saying that that's how every parent should handle it. I think it was a fine way that they did handle it. And um, I only bring this up though, because sometimes our children might be complaining of something physical and we go straight to, oh, you're just making it up or stop lying or you're not going to get out of school. And I, I totally, I totally get where we're coming from. Cause like I said, I definitely have times where I just made up being sick growing up to get out of school because I was wanting to stay home and play. Um, and so I get that, but I also want you to remember that oftentimes there's a, actually all the time, there's a reason behind that behavior, right? So if your child is complaining of a physical illness and you think that they are not sick, I mean, it's totally fine if you go to, well, if you stay home, you're going to have to be in a dark room with the lights off all day, no screens, no toys, no snacky foods. And then they might be like, oh, okay, fine. I'm going to school, right? But it also can help if you stop and question. So why is my child complaining of a physical illness if they don't have a physical illness? Why would they be doing that? Why are they trying to get out of school? What's going on? How can I empower them and help them with this difficulty? Can you see the shift in the narrative in our own heads there and how we might approach them? And sometimes like if it's 10 o'clock at night and your child desperately needs to sleep, sometimes I get it. Like I might just try to get them to sleep and we'll talk about it in the morning because you'll feel better in the morning, right? But if this is something that's happening every day, that's worth digging into, right? I also mentioned that briefly, but I do want to point out that when I'm stressed, for example, I get really tense shoulders and neck, or maybe my stomach will tighten up. And if your child is feeling a really strong emotion and they're complaining like my back hurts or my head hurts or my tummy hurts or whatever, they might physically be feeling that. It might be caused by an emotion and not by like a virus, for example. And again, that's difficult to tell, but I do just want to point out that they might actually be having physical symptoms from the emotional stem. So one thing that I really like to do whenever a child is experiencing anxiety, whether it's physical or, I mean, usually we do feel our emotion. We always feel our emotions in our body, but um, whether they're complaining of the physical symptoms or they're just complaining about something else, or they're just acting up in general, whatever it is, if you can tell that your child has anxiety or some other big feeling that's not very pleasant towards school, one of the best things you can do for them is to just validate their feelings. Let them know that their feelings are valid. It's okay if they're feeling anxious. It's all right if they're nervous. It's okay if they're scared. It's all right. Let them know that what they're feeling is a valid feeling. There's nothing wrong with them. It's okay to feel that way. And let's get through this. What can we do now? 
Reassure them that you're here to support them and that you're here to help them and meet them where they're at. Another thing we can do for them, of course, is to have open communication so that when they come to us and say, I'm scared for school tomorrow. And if we go, you have nothing to be scared of. We like shut off that communication. It's going to make it a lot harder for them to work through feeling scared. Right. And so leaving it open, like, oh, you're feeling scared. Do you want to tell me about it? What's bothering you about school? Is there something specific that's making you feel this way? We can listen without that judgment. It is really going to open up their ability to process and to handle what they're feeling. And then, as I said, um, if we can, now this is really hard, especially with like kindergartners, younger kids, and even older kids. But if we can try to dig and identify what are the triggers, what's going on. And this is not, I'm just going to say it, this is not going to be like a one and done thing. It's not going to be an easy thing. This is something that we spend like months on in the Confidently Mommy membership is to get really, really deep in what's going on and what's causing the big emotions. But this is something that I really encourage you to do to better understand your child is to really dig deep. What's going on? Um, are they worried about school because of their grades? I know for me, I would pretend to be sick in middle school whenever I forgot to do my homework again, because I often forgot to do my homework. And I remember one of my teachers in particular would really shame me, like in front of the class, it would give me a horrible sinking feeling. It got to the point, like if I went to school and I remembered that I hadn't done a homework assignment for that class, I remember going to the nurse and just outright lying and telling the nurse that I had thrown up and that I needed to go home. And I did it because to me, the lying and the hiding and the um, missing school and everything at that point in my life was better for me than the shame that that teacher was giving me for not having done my homework. Yeah. Now, I didn't tell any of this to my parents. I think my mom kind of suspected it because I remember one time I went home and ate like an entire bag of Cheetos and a like quarter gallon of orange juice. <laughs> so it's like, crazy and she made a comment like hmm that's a lot of you know orange juice for a girl that threw up earlier and I gave her a guilty look but I do think that she understood and we've talked a little bit as um I've been a, a grown-up and we've talked about times like that and she said I just knew that you did it so infrequently that you really needed there was something going on and you probably just needed a break from school um, obviously that might not work for every child. Like if your kid does it once or twice a year and you let it slide versus if your kid's trying to do it every single day, that might be something different, right? Um, I'm just giving you ideas to consider. I'm not trying to tell you exactly what to do. I'm not going to give you a parenting script. I know those are super popular right now, but the principles are going to help you so much more than a parenting script. Because a script is really not one size fits all. What your child is experiencing and what they're going through is going to be so unique from every child. So anyways, I've given you a lot of examples. And I also want to say your child might not be aware of why they're feeling so upset or anxious either. Um, one client that I worked with, her kids were just complaining about school and no, I don't like it. And no, it's just, I don't feel good there. And 
she went with them to school one day and the cafeteria was just like chaotic. It was really loud. And the, the aides were in order to communicate were like yelling to get over the kids and her highly sensitive kids were just shutting off and overstimulated. And then she understood like, oh, that's what's going on. Right. So it's going to be different for every child. But once you understand the trigger, like for this client, she understood, okay, so now I need to figure out a way to help make lunch manageable for them. And that's going to look different for everyone, what it might look like. Maybe it's that she sends them with noise canceling headphones that they wear during lunch. If you do that, I absolutely recommend you take a proactive approach. Talk with a teacher beforehand, um, whether it's noise canceling headphones or asking for other accommodations. Of course, if you have a 504 or an IEP, then they're required by law to accommodate your child. But even if you don't have a diagnosis and you don't have any of those things for your child, I really think if you go to a teacher and you go just with a grateful heart, like I'm so grateful for what you're doing with my kid. Don't make your teacher be the problem when you go to them. Help them be part of the solution, right? Uh, remember you're on the same team of helping children, even if you have different approaches. And maybe let your teacher know about the things that you appreciate that he or she is doing for the classroom. Tell them about your child's strengths. Tell them about the amazing, wonderful things that your child is going to bring to their classroom and why your child is such a wonderful addition to their classroom and also recognize the difficulties that your child's facing recognize and let the teacher know some ways that your child might be struggling or some areas in which your child is still developing and they need a little bit more support if you can think of your own strategies instead of putting on the teacher like okay, my kid's really overstimulated at lunch and you've got to fix this. Like if you can come up with some of your own strategies that are realistic for a teacher who has like 30, 35, however many kids in their class. When I taught in home, I only had 10 kids, but even still that was, that was really busy for me. Um, just if you can come up with your own strategies, like I had one student, this was when we worked on a math program that was on Chromebooks and one student would like Anytime she got a question wrong, she would slam her Chromebook and try to throw it across the room. And of course that wasn't working out. And I tried to work with the student, but I had nine other kids that day. So I just kind of patched it over as much as I could, mentioned it to mom. Mom went home with the student, had a conversation, came up with some ideas with the student of the student's ideas of what she could do instead. Mom presented the ideas to me. We decided on a couple that would work for the classroom. And it just took all of that stress off of me as the teacher to have to solve all of the problems. And it really helped the student because the student was able to take part in that problem solving and really feel ownership over some of the solutions that they needed. So this is a lot at once, I know, but it's just really important when you're talking to the school um, or talking to teachers, if you go in, I know it's so hard because I've been there. Like I have gone in swinging for my kids before where I feel like I am just fighting for them. And do you know what happened? It put six out of seven people on the team that I was meeting with as a parent. I was the parent in that situation, not the teacher. And six out of seven people on that team put up their fists in return. This is an analogy, of course. We weren't literally putting our fists up, but they got so defensive. They were shut off to being proactive. They felt like they had to defend everything that they were doing. Whereas if we 
if I had gone into that meeting instead with just a lot of gratitude and openness and a collaborative team building perspective, I don't know, maybe they still would have been defensive and that's okay. But I think at least a couple of them would have simmered out a little bit more and it would have been a much better experience and much more productive for all of us. Okay, so those are some things we can do. Understand that what they're feeling is valid, validate their feelings, have open communication. Try if you can to get to the root of what's going on. And that is, I know it's a lot of work, but if you at least try, you're going to get a lot further than if you don't, right? Um, and I do, I should have mentioned this. I do have my, why is my child melting down cheat sheet and mini training? It's at enlighteningmotherhood.com forward slash freebies. It's a free resource that I give to parents. You can go in there and grab it if you don't have it yet. But even if your child's not melting down, honestly, it's a lot of the same things, the same six general areas that are causing this intense anxiety or the stomach aches or the headaches, etc. So we have that. Um, I also would recommend with school, if you can, to try to create a really calm routine around it. Now, I'm going to be straightforward and tell you that this is something I'm still working on. So I would feel really hypocritical if you thought that my house was all roses in the morning. <laughs> Sometimes there's still a lot of stress just trying to get kids out the door, like three neurodivergent children with a neurodivergent mom. It is a struggle <laughs> a lot of days just to get out the door and to get to school. Um, give yourself some grace and give your children some grace. And as proactive as you can be in having a calm morning routine will help because it doesn't if the morning before school is super stressful, they may start to associate the stress and anxiety that you feel to get everyone out the door with school. Not that it's your fault, just that your children are humans with human brains. And so the more we can give them calm and offer them our own calm nervous system, the more that it can help them to co-regulate their own nervous system. So as much as possible. Like I said, I know that this is really hard and I could probably do a whole podcast episode on handling that morning routine, but as much as possible, try to keep it calm. Um, we try to do as much as we can beforehand. I try to pack my, have my kids pack their lunch or I pack their lunch depending on their age and their ability. Um, the night before this morning, I realized I hadn't done it last night. So I was like, throwing all sorts of snacks and apples and oranges and granola bars into a <laughs> lunchbox. It worked. He was fed. But um, as much as you can the night before, plan it out. That would be great. Have water bottles filled, have backpacks set up. My children do not sleep in pajamas most nights. They are really happy. I've talked to them about it and they are happy to just put on clean clothes right before they go to bed. And then they wear those clothes to school in the morning. And yeah, sometimes they're a little bit wrinkled and it's okay <laughs> because for my children with ADHD and autism and highly sensitive nervous systems, I mean, this was even before they were diagnosed with anything, it would just take them sometimes so long and so much mental effort and such a cognitive load to just go and change their clothes. And I know me, I, I would think, come on, you can do this in 45 seconds and it's taking you 10 minutes. This is ridiculous. And then I'm dysregulated and they're dysregulated. But understanding that it does take my kids a bit longer to change their clothes, that transition there is harder for them. And that's one way that I've accommodated them and they accommodate themselves and we're fine with it. It really does work out. 
something else this year that I had forgotten about, <laughs> even though I knew it, I had forgotten about it and rediscovered it this year is a visual schedule. Um, this could look really different from kid to kid. Again, I could spend a whole podcast episode talking about what a visual schedule is and how we could use it. But um, a visual schedule is just what it sounds like. Any Anything that's visual that helps your child know what is going to be going on. Um, little kids might like pictures, especially if they're not reading. For my eight-year-old, this really helped. He's He reads just fine. And so I thought, <laughs> this is funny, our all or nothing thinking that I kept having. Um, I For two days, I was like, oh man, I need to make him a visual schedule. We are struggling in the mornings. He doesn't know what the routine is. I keep expecting him to just know because I told him or remember because I told him or to just guess that this is what we should be doing and I haven't actually explained it to him. Okay, I'm going to make time to sit down and I'm going to make him a beautiful visual schedule. I'm going to do it on the computer. I'm going to do it in color and print it with all of these pictures. And for two days, I was like, oh, I haven't had time to do that. Oh man, I, I forgot about that again. And then on the third day, I was like, Emily, come on now. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. And so I found like a used piece of paper that was on the table that had a blank back and a pencil that was laying next to it. And I clipped it up. We have a little whiteboard in our living room. I clipped it up on the whiteboard and I like scribbled out the things he needed to do before school. And I was, I told him, I said, okay, look, these are the things we need to do to, before school. If you want to have time to read or to play with your Pokemon cards or whatever else, you need to do these things first. Do you think that's okay? What do you think about it? How can I support you to get those done? That kind of conversation. I didn't ask them all like that at once. It would have way overstimulated him. But, um, and then it was, okay, which of these do you want to do first? And he chose one, and then he chose the other, and then he chose the other. So it was totally imperfect. I might do it differently again, but we left that visual schedule up for the rest of the week and the mornings were so much smoother. Just having that visual that he could go and look at and realize, oh yeah, this is what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing. And this is actually something that I had for my oldest for like three years. I just took a three by five note card and I wrote, number one, this is what you do in the morning. I think it was like, use the restroom. And I had this in the restroom. So every morning he knew he used the restroom. And then as he was using the restroom, he would stare at this note card, right? Number two, I, I can't remember the exact list, but he and I came up with exactly what he needed to do before school. And the very last thing was, if it's before such and such time, you can sit down and read a book. Or if it's after such and such time, we're heading to the car, etc. So that's something you can do with your child. It does not have to be perfect. It can be scribbled on the back. Of an old piece of paper that's just laying on the table because your kids didn't take it off the table, right? It does not have to be perfect, but anything that you can do to help that morning routine, getting ready for school, be a bit calmer, be more predictable for your child, be smoother for you, will help them a lot with their school anxiety. And then there's one final thing that I would recommend for helping your kids who are having all sorts of big feelings that are hard to handle regarding going to school in general. And that is play. <laughs> I have always loved playing with kids and I know not everyone loves to play with their kids and I get it, but there is so much research and like science backed evidence that keeps coming out over 
the major benefits of playing with our children. Um, it can be child-directed where you just sit and let them play or whatever, like five minutes a day connecting with them. And you can be curious to notice what kind of themes are in their play. Are they suggesting something? And then maybe you can work into whatever they're doing. Like say that they have two, uh, my kids are into Sonic. They have little Sonic figurines that they got for Christmas. So maybe I'll pick up one of the Sonic figurines. I'll pick up Knuckles or you know who Knuckles is. And if not, it's fine. <laughs> I'll pick up one of the characters and maybe talk to their Sonic and say, oh man, did you know that even we have to go to school? Oh, I'm not sure what I think about that. What do you think about that, Sonic? And just have a play conversation with them around school where maybe Knuckles is really nervous and you ask your kid to help Knuckles. Hey, why do you think Knuckles is so nervous? Oh, Knuckles says, I don't really know. I don't quite get it. And your kid can help you invent reasons. And maybe they will be ridiculous off the wall reasons. Like maybe he's afraid that um, the walls are going to turn into jello and then he will have to eat jello and he doesn't like jello and that's too scary for him and your kid will maybe they'll be laughing with you if they're a bit older like nearing teenage years obviously this would look different right but any sort of play just where you're casually interacting with your child and you bring up the themes in a non-threatening really non-serious um pleasant way it can help them a lot and again, I can't give you every advice for play, just this encouragement to do it and let your child lead with what you're doing, but you can work in some themes and suggestions. And maybe you'll even say, well, Knuckles, do you think you could, do you think Knuckles could talk to his parents? My boys, of course, would say Knuckles doesn't have parents. Okay, well, who could he talk to then? Or what could we do about school? Et cetera, right? this idea of play and um, connecting with your child and also watch the words in play and in general that you're using about school. We have to go to school. If you don't go to school, you could go to prison. I'm pretty sure I used that on my kids years ago. Oh, yeah, that's not <laughs> confession time. Um, no, that's not something I would recommend. I know I did it years ago. There's plenty of stuff I did years ago that I don't recommend. And that's one of it. Just trying to keep a really pleasant attitude ourselves towards school. Like, oh, you get to go to school. All right. Like we can validate their, their feelings. Oh, I know you're really nervous. You're scared. You don't want to go. And at the same time, we can let them know that we have different feelings. I understand that you're nervous about going, but do you want to know why I think it's a great idea to go? Or do you want to know what good things can come from it, right? So we don't have to not see it from their perspective, but we can also watch our own words and our own um, way that we choose to speak and refer to school and try to make it positive as much as we can. It's a hard balance. I'm just going to admit it. It's a hard balance between validating your kids, helping, you know, seeing it from their point of view, letting them know that you understand them while not wanting to be the ones to maybe uh, 
what's the word I'm looking for? It's going to say egg it on, but yeah, just if we're careful with some of the words that we use, like you have to do your homework or you're going to get in big trouble. That kind of attitude has never helped my kids versus, hey, we get to do homework now. How can we make it fun? Oh, I know you don't want to do homework. Oh man, you know what? I didn't like doing homework either when I was a kid. Here's the homework. It's still there though. I wonder if there's any way that we can make this a more pleasant experience. Can you feel the difference between those two approaches? Because I can. And I know as a parent, I'm going to feel better <laughs> personally with one of those approaches than I am with the other. Okay. Um, there's one more thing that I just want to bring up briefly before I close. And that is if your child is like, I brought this up before and I'm going to bring it up again. If your child is showing really extreme big emotions that are indicative of like really intense, debilitating anxiety, depression, etc., there's nothing wrong with seeking professional help. Okay. So you can hear my baby's waking up on the monitor. This is my cue <laughs> to end the podcast episode. I really want you to remember that every child is unique. There's no one size fits all solution. So if we can approach the situation with patience, empathy, an open mind, and then a willingness to adapt our approach, depending on our individual child's needs and our family's needs and our own abilities, then this is going to help make a big difference with helping them navigate their anxiety and other big feelings about school. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful week. Hey mama, if you ever feel like you're walking on eggshells around your big emotions, kid, please know that you're not alone. I can totally relate. And I also know that you don't need to stay in that space. You can totally transform your frustration, overwhelm and stress into calm, confidence and in control. Now, I'm sure that you love your child and that you're on an amazing journey to make positive changes in your parenting, to learn to more effectively parent them with all their quirks and everything. But if you want your positive changes in parenting to be faster, smoother, and with a whole lot more support, then I would love to invite you to come check out the Confidently Momming membership. In this membership, you get instant access to an entire library of resources. This will give you a solid foundation to effectively parenting a big emotions kid. And then to personalize it, there are live coaching calls where you can ask me any parenting questions. There is a non-judgmental online community where you can connect and get support in between those calls. Basically, I built what I wish I had years ago before I learned how to parent big emotions kids. And when I felt like I was somewhere in between drowning, failing, or spinning my wheels with trying different things that just weren't working. So if you're ready to put behind all of those feelings of guilt, shame, spinning your wheels, or otherwise just not progressing the way you would like to in making the positive changes in parenting your big emotions kids, and you're ready to instead be empowered with feeling calm, confident, and in control so that you can help your child learn to manage their emotions so you can have more peace at home, 
so you can have a better relationship with your kid and just have more joy in your parenting journey? Then come and see if the Confidently Mommy membership is a good fit for you. You can check out all the details at enlighteningmotherhood.com forward slash confident. And of course, that link is in the show notes. Cannot wait to see you on the inside.